This is the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. I'm Susie Collick, the founder of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense. And I'm Kate Lismer, a writer, traveler, mother, and expat. As a woman who lives in a big city and likes to travel, I'm very curious about self-defense. I've never had any training, so I have a lot of questions. And I have a lot of answers. We figured you probably have similar questions too. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to share this conversation and put it in a podcast. So welcome to the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense Podcast. So I know that you've done a lot of work with refugees in Germany, and I wanted just I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about your experience with the refugee women here, why why you do it, what sort of needs they have in in this community. Mm-hmm. I just want to clarify that I've I've only done some work. It's it hasn't been easy to reach out to those communities and. Um, when the refugee populations that came to Germany from Syria, Afghanistan, Eritrea, etc., were first in the temporary housing in the old airport in Tempelhof um, and in other places around Berlin, it was very difficult to access. So for me, for what I was doing. Um, so I haven't been as prolific in this field as 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 much as I would like to. The reason that I wanted to do it, and it's one of the reasons that I moved to Berlin, um, is because I had read about a guy who was living in the center in Tempelhof. And, you know, in these centers, for people who don't know, families, individuals had, like, some beds, and then they were surrounded by by walls that were sort of like those hospital walls, you know, where it's like a sheet basically hanging in a, on a metal frame. So there was no real privacy, no real private spaces. Anyway, this man, I read about it in the paper. This man had stabbed another man because the other man had molested his six year old daughter. And this was of course, horrifying news. But what it made me think about was Katrina Um, in the United States and how so many people who were displaced during Katrina were then housed in the, the football stadium. And it came out afterwards, but was, it was stories that were a bit buried in the news as these often are of a, a lot of sexual violence and aggression and people like demanding sexual favors for protection and, um, or in exchange for supplies, um, just kind of a little bit of apocalyptic chaos at night when when the guards would turn a blind eye kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, this is, this is humanity. This is the ugly side of humanity, but this is some of the things that happen when you throw a bunch of humans together. And surely it's happening in the centers here as well. But what's different is that these aren't Americans. A lot of these people are coming from uh, Muslim countries where women and the the place of women in society is a little more restricted. So women aren't don't feel as empowered necessarily to defend themselves. And sometimes if they do... Um, they'll receive punishment either from the man and their family or from their community in general. So I wanted to 
work with some of these women to teach them some self-defense moves that could easily be covered as everyday moves so that to reduce the the risk of punishment um, and retaliation, but also to give them a little bit more empowerment and freedom of movement. Um, And also, I was hoping to communicate the idea that they were already doing a great job of self-defense by getting their families out of war zones because I had speaking with a few volunteers quite a few women felt that they failed their families and that they were failures as mothers um, because they took their families out of their homeland to keep them alive from Assad but you know these things are complicated they're not black and white so I was hoping to reach out to them and work with them a little bit, um, which I succeeded a little bit, not as much as I would have liked. Um, and of course, these communities are still here, so there's still an outreach program happening, but it's it's slow. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of denial that this happens at all. So that was my obstacle in reaching these communities in the centers when people were still living in the centers is a lot of the guardians of those communities. Remember, the German government kind of supplied the the space for people to be temporarily housed in, and then were like, okay, and everybody else figure it out. They didn't really supply any kind of structure or much of anything, really. Um, Last time I was down there, there was all these housing structures. Yeah, now there's the container housing, which yeah. is a whole nother converts don't even get me started on that it's not working um I don't know if it's working or not but I happen to just as an aside really randomly at a brunch I happened to meet one of the lead architects for that housing um and he told me that they were you know they were creating um container housing which is a big thing in Berlin in general they're really expensive they're like 15,000 per container or something like that um and and again, that's temporary housing to move people out of the center, but still keep them in Tempelhofer Feld, um, but now in container housing, so they have more private spaces to live. And I said, "Well, how are you going to get them out of that?" And he said, "What do you mean? It's it's they can only be there for a maximum of three or four years, whatever it is, and then they have to go to other housing." And I said, "Well, good luck, because these people have been living with no private space between two and five years, and now you're going to." You move them into a temporary private space and then you're going to move them again. I mean, possession is nine-tenths of the law, says every human spirit. So right. good luck. <laughs> anyway, that wasn't the most pleasant of brunches. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe like just from a purely self-defense approach, like what now, because we talked about this once before, about using um, sort of natural movements that mm-hmm. these women already have like what were some of the things that you were able to kind of use as examples in their daily life one of them was uh, the one that springs to mind first is actually just sort of an arm swing and which is hard for me to describe so it's kind of uh, let's use our right arm as an example kind of raising your right arm up so that your hand is about the height of your head and then just letting it drop with gravity and swinging it back turning a little bit as you do that and we worked on that move specifically for women 
basically whose asses were being grabbed in food lines, mm. which was a big complaint. Um, and they couldn't really do anything about it. So we worked on this sort of, you know, arm drop and swing to get, you know, the perpetrator's hand off of their bodies, but in a way that looked natural, that would look like, oh, I was just turning around and I accidentally bumped you out of the way. So they were really happy with that one, actually. <laughs> um, we worked with people who may grab, so women coming from uh, various, you know, along the spectrum of orthodoxy in Islam, it depends, you know, y your clothes change a little bit. But generally, all the women that I worked with were wearing fairly billowy pants or dresses or coats even. Um, so if they were grabbed, oftentimes they may be grabbed by a piece of clothing rather than your arm or your leg. And learning how to turn with that and let another part of your body swing to strike someone away. So again, was a was pretty satisfying, <laughs> satisfying for them as well. I mean, they really enjoyed it. They were really suspicious in the beginning because we started with exercises that didn't look like any kind of self defense. They looked like goofy warm up exercises, and then we put them all together and showed how they could be applied. Mm -hmm. And then they they really really enjoyed that that empowerment that oh right. now I see where I can apply this and I see where it's where I can cover up the move mm -hmm. um and where this is useful and and usually a few of them would start like rolling off incidents you know oh this this time and this time and that time and that time but actually with an air of excitement you know they were really excited to like apply what right. they had learned that's great and I wonder now did you do were most of the moves that you taught the refugee women these sort of subtle um, kind of discreet moves, or did yeah. you also go into more combative? No, they, no, they were all very subtle and discreet. Okay, moves. just because the at that time, especially when I first got here three years ago, and people were still living in the centers, um, you know, they're still living in the centers. So if you if you retaliate with a more combative move, you still you've still got to survive in that center, right? You know, so you don't want to to encourage punishment or invite or incite punishment. You know, you don't want to turn an entire community against you, which can also happen. So these are survival techniques to get through where you are in that moment. You know, it's 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 you know, I don't like you know, being a martial artist um, and somebody who likes action movies, it would be great to teach people and work with people in, you know, kind of movie-like ways with these big extravagant movements and it's very empowering and it would be really cool. And I really enjoy watching movies like that. But I'm very concerned when I'm teaching self-defense, whether to refugees or non-refugees, um, with dealing with the reality that you are living right now. Not only the reality that you're living in right now to disrupt what may be happening that's hurting you, but also so that you can continue on whatever path that you're on. Because like the refugee women, not everybody has the option to suddenly shift. You know, it's not like those women at that time could defend themselves and be like, well, I'm leaving 
the center. You know, I mean, they're at the center. They're stuck. Yeah. You know, so it's taking the situation as it is and creating as much protection as possible um, and empowerment as possible within those confines. I think that's interesting. And I think that applies to a lot of women too, Mm. where whether you're in a domestic violence situation or maybe you're in a harassment situation at work. Like these are terminal sort of ongoing, like persistent circumstances for people. And you can also learn ways of coping and defending yourself within that, you know, without having to go Kill Bill style, but there's ways of like, you know, protecting yourself and, and having some awareness. And also this seems like a way of, not making yourself vulnerable like maybe for these girls like if some perpetrator realizes like oh last time that was a bit of a scene or last time she moved this way you know maybe she won't be a target next time right so it's it's I mean it's being a little more sneaky so it's like you know in ninjutsu the most powerful ninja are the kunoichi the female ninja and it's sort of using these ideas um the ideas of the kunoichi working with women both in refugee situations and in life in general because we're not we can't always walk away from a situation you know I mean if you're a single mom with three kids and you're barely making the mortgage and you've got you finally got a job you know and you're making just enough to to so that you're not on welfare and you're not getting the benefits of welfare daycare for example and you're making just enough to maybe maybe improve your life a little bit but you have to put up with the sexual harassment at work I mean it's that's a that's a rock in a hard place so what can you do to get through that moment you know however long that moment is three months two years whatever it is what can you do what can you use now so that it doesn't grind you down in all the ways that we've talked about self-defense, it, you know, it's important to remember that it's so much bigger than just these moves, right? That there's so many, right. um, it's a lot about, uh, self-discovery and self-awareness and self-trust, right? Self-confidence, self-care, self-love. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program created by a 20-year martial arts veteran and violent crime survivor, Susie Collin, based in Berlin, Germany. You can learn more about Susie and the Pretty Deadly Self-Defense program at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com.